Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 35. I'm Jessica Duffin and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. Before I get started today, I'm very excited about today's guest. Um, I want to thank my sponsors. My first sponsor is, of course, BU Period Patches. BU Period Patches are another 100% natural option that I love to help me manage endometriosis. The feedback that they are getting from the endometriosis community is huge and so, so positive and they seem to be making a real difference to the lives of so many. So if you do struggle with really painful periods or chronic pain, I highly recommend BU Period Patches. They deliver menthol and eucalyptus oil to the source of the pain, to your muscles. They help to reduce cramping and that in turn is scientifically proven to reduce pain. So if you are interested in trying them, they are $4.99 if you opt for a subscription pack and $6.99 for an individual pack and you get five patches per pack. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes and you can start soothing period cramps the natural way. This episode is also supported by Ona, the intimate wearable that is redefining painful sex. Ona is basically what it sounds. It's an FDA body safe rubber ring essentially or several or a couple of rubber rings four rubber rings that are stackable and are externally worn on the base of the shaft so on your like on a male partner and they act as a buffer so they enable you to control the penetration depth and therefore you're able to try different positions and work out what feels good and reduce painful sex they are condom compatible and silicon and H2O lube friendly. They are pelvic MD approved and supported by several leaders in pelvic pain, like doctors, pelvic floor therapists, um, surgeons. This, you know, they they're really loving this product and they think it's um revolutionary in pelvic pain. So the way that you use own up, they always suggest that you start with free rings and then you can add or um subtract accordingly um the best way to work with owner is to use lube and then slide the owner down try different positions um remove rings add rings um, make sure you wash the owner before and after use and just kind of get comfortable with it don't don't worry if you're not sure about it the first time the responses are really positive from the endometriosis community, but it can take some time to just find out like what works for you. Partners are also really loving it too, and they are loving seeing their partners happy um, and no longer in pain. So if you'd like to try out Owner, the link is in my show notes. Um, so click on the link and enter the discount code JD2019, all caps, one, one word, and um, you will be getting 15% off the owner. So if you try it, let me know how you get on. Um, I really love it and it's really changing the experience of painful sex for me. So yeah, I would just love to see how you get on as well. Today's episode is a long-awaited one and it's all about how to manage endometriosis at work with Claire Knox of See Her Thrive. I know that I'm not the only one who struggled in the workplace with endometriosis you'll hear more in the show what I went through and just managing endometriosis in the workplace has been this constant anxiety for me for years and years and years and it, it really broke me down and was one of the main 
contributing factors to my depression and anxiety. One of the reasons why I am now self-employed. Um, so it was great to have Claire on the show and talk about all this. And, you know, from explaining endometriosis to a boss to like what work, um, workplace accommodations that you're entitled to. It's a really gray area and um, I just don't think many of us know where to turn to get that information. So yeah, it was just brilliant to have Claire on. Claire is a business psychologist who was diagnosed several years ago with PMDD. And this condition affected her so greatly that she eventually went on to to found See Her Thrive. See Her Thrive helps employees and employers to support women's well-being in the workplace, specifically with conditions such as endometriosis. So together, Claire and her team are really changing how the UK does business and how companies support and understand women's health. In this episode, we talk about the current issues facing people with endometriosis in the workplace, Claire's vision for the future of women's well-being at work, how to talk to a boss about endometriosis, whether endometriosis is a disability or not, the kind of workplace adjustments you can ask for, and what your rights are when it comes to endometriosis at work. We also cover what to do if you're being disciplined for absences um, and how to make a formal grievance if it gets to that point. Um, It's a really, really good one. And yeah, I feel like it's long awaited and something that I've been wanting to cover for a long time, but I didn't know who to get on the show. So when I discovered Claire, I was like, ah, yeah, Claire has to be on. Um, So I I hope that you find it as useful as I do. And if you're going through a really tough time at the moment, you know, do reach out to Claire, ask ask for some help. Um, If you're not, but you want your workplace to be more um, inclusive and supportive of women's health, get Claire and her team in because I just think what these guys are doing is going to change the game and it has to start from, you know, the ground upwards. We just have to get into all of the organisations and slowly but surely change the way that the, yeah, the way that the economy works and the way that women are treated in the workplace. Um, so I hope you enjoy and I hope you get a lot out of this. I think you will. So I feel like since I, obviously we've been trying to chat for a while and I feel like since I, um, kind of read up on your work and we've been in touch, like see her thrive has really thrived. Like it's really blossomed. I feel like you've expanded big time and from like, you've got like a really big team now. So I kind of want to start with finding out what See Her Thrive is and telling us a bit about the work that you do and also your role in that because I know you're a business psychologist but I think that can sometimes be a little bit of a confusing title for people like they're like business psychologist kind of doesn't add up right so if you could kind of start with telling us about See Her Thrive and what you do there that would be wonderful. Yeah of course so See Her Thrive is a consultancy And we work with organisations to help them support their female employees. And in doing that, they can improve um, their own productivity and performance because we are tackling issues that companies so far haven't really addressed. Um, So we help them to learn about and understand Issues that affect women and um, that includes everything from periods to menopause to perinatal mental health, 
pregnancy and how to support employees on their return to work. So we look at issues really across the the lifespan of a woman and we try to get better support for women in the workplace through raising awareness and helping um, particularly managers and HR teams to implement the right policies and practices. Um, So that is See Her Thrive in a nutshell. In terms of how we do it, we offer workshops. So we go to organisations and we deliver um, interactive workshops. Again, this is either for managers and um, HR teams and occupational health teams. And we also deliver um, workshops for employees. So things like how to manage your menstrual health at work is something that we offer to staff. And that can be really useful because actually a lot of people don't know how the menstrual cycle can affect them at work. They don't often pay attention to that because they're so busy with everything that's going on. So just bringing that into consciousness um, can help a lot of women and we give them the tools, the practical tools to help um, really make the most of of the different hormonal changes that happen. Um, Yeah, so that's the workshops and we've recently started doing training via webinar. Oh, cool. Yeah, so we're going all, all modern and tech and that seems to be really popular. So again, it's, it's a similar format. We Our aim is really to educate and to improve knowledge and awareness and also give people the, the practical tools to support women in the workplace with, with menstrual and reproductive health conditions and do you have, um, am I right in thinking that you have like free downloads and guides on some specific conditions and, you know, so I could maybe download something, for example? Yes. So we have got a, a few resources on the website that are free to download. We've got an employer's guide to endometriosis, which is a PDF that's available Um Yet on the website, we have an employer's guide to premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And both of these conditions are relatively unknown in the workplace. So the hope is really that, I guess, people with the conditions will direct their these resources. Or it's also something that can be shared. So we've had quite a few people get in contact to ask for these resources and the reason being is that they want to start a conversation with their manager um so that's great that's exactly what we we intended for these um for these documents and on the website you can also find links to some other useful websites and so endometriosis uk is an example um and there's a few um, videos and, and other bits and pieces. But what I would say is that any resource that we share um, is what we would deem to be trusted and valid. I think there's a lot of fluff and stuff out there on the, the internet. So yeah. we have to be really careful about the information that we read and, and the information that we give to other people. 
So hopefully um, the resources on the See Her Thrive site will reflect that and they are trusted and reliable. That's brilliant. I think it can be really overwhelming when you Google living with something and so much comes up, especially forums. I think they're just, oh gosh, uh, yeah, (laughs) I think forums can do more damage than they can good, to be honest. So it's great to know that you can go to somewhere like See Her Thrive and everything is reliable um, and trustworthy on there. So can you tell me a bit more about your your role? And like, obviously you set up See Her Thrive. Like what, what inspires you to do it? That's a great question. Do you want the, the long backstory? <laughs> the long one. Let's go for the long one. Okay. So I, in a previous life, I was a secondary school teacher, which I absolutely loved. It is a brilliant profession working with young young people is really inspiring and unfortunately I developed PMDD I'd always struggled with PMS but in my late 20s things just got progressively worse and can I sorry we haven't Laura is actually scheduled to come on the show but she hasn't been on yet So we might have some people not knowing what PMDD is. So would you be able to quickly just describe what, yeah, what it is for those who don't know? Yeah, so PMDD, it's a very severe form of PMS that lots of people experience with their period and the the days and weeks leading up to their period. But PMDD um, can have extreme psychological symptoms so it can cause depression, anxiety, fatigue. Um, a lot of people have panic attacks, suicidal ideation. And previously, it was thought that around 15% of people with PMDD would attempt suicide. And actually, the latest data coming out of a, a survey from IAPMD is suggesting a much higher figure so it, it's it's thought to be caused by a heightened sensitivity to hormonal changes in the menstrual cycle so the way I think about it is I'm almost um not well yeah almost like an allergy to my own my own hormonal fluctuations so particularly around ovulation and from about seven days up to my period, um, sorry, leading up to my period, I um, I would really suffer from depression. I would have emotional outbursts. I would um, just have days where I would be hysterical about nothing really, um, and just all of this negative energy. And I would really struggle with fatigue, really struggle with fatigue. And getting through the day was just so incredibly difficult. And looking back now, I'm not sure how, as a teacher, how I did that. Um, Maybe something around being responsible and accountable to all of the people who rely on you. I I don't know. Um, But yeah, that's PMDD. And each person who has it will experience it differently like a lot of menstrual and reproductive health conditions so it's not a 
a one size fits all kind of concern. Some people will experience um, very different symptoms. Um, but yeah, because, and I'm sure you, you can relate to this, because of um, the, the cyclical nature of the condition, it just becomes exhausting. So month in, month out, you almost develop an anxiety thinking about um, the the luteal phase of your menstrual yeah. cycle. So I, I know that yeah, so well. Yeah, I, I would get anxious in the days leading up to ovulation because I would think, oh God, no, not this again. Here it comes. And so I would lose even some of my good days preempting the awful episode that was about to hit so yeah that that's PMDD it's thought to affect around one in 20 women so it is relatively common although it's not very well known um what else can I tell you about it if you've got Laura Murphy coming on the show she is the expert and I'm sure she'll tell you a lot more about about the condition yeah no that's that's great though just to have an understanding and you've given us actually like a lot of details so especially how it's affect, how it affected you I really understand resonate with what you're saying about the fear and the anxiety mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that was it, it, it just yeah it, it it's a really vicious cycle and there is no cure like a lot of these things there is no cure it can be managed but again, we know how difficult it can be to get the right diagnosis and then to get the right treatment as a result of that. I've been really fortunate in that I responded very well to um, SSRIs, which is one of the first sort of treatment options. But we know that a lot of people um, don't respond very well and they progress through the treatment plan and will have a full hysterectomy. So it's, yeah, it, it, and then when we think about work and the implications it has on work and it just, it really is a massive issue that isn't really talked about. Mm, yeah, I can, I've had very bad times in my premenstrual phases in the past and it made it very, very difficult to be at work. So I can't imagine experiencing that every, every month at all so how did it affect you then in in the workplace when you were a secondary school teacher I think one of the most difficult things was the fatigue just feeling absolutely exhausted and it's really hard to explain to someone who hasn't experienced it before I think sometimes people can see it as a bit of tiredness that everyone experiences but the the complete lack of energy or drive to want to do anything for me in my good in my good days I'm an incredibly driven um active person I'm always on the go I've always got lots of energy bouncing off the walls and that was always reflected in in my style of teaching but then premenstrually to to maintain that was so difficult so so difficult um yeah so for me the fatigue um and also as I as I talked about earlier those really dark days of depression that were so out of character um 
yeah, really, really hard to deal with. And until I knew what was actually causing it, it was scary. It was really frightening. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, really frightening. And probably for those around me, family and friends who, who also didn't know what was going on. How one minute I could be absolutely fine and then the next minute it was just like being a completely different person. Yeah, I can imagine that must have really it must have really worried them. Yeah. I think it I think it probably did. So at this point did you is that when you like did you leave and go on to study business psychology or had you already studied that? Well, no, I hadn't studied business psychology. It was a, a combination of quite a few different things that that inspired me to make the career change. So along with my own personal struggles of PMDD as a teacher, I started to think, well, if I'm struggling with this, how are other people managing? What do they do to cope? Are are people coping with this or are they unable to work? What I just became really curious to find out how other people were managing and coping. I think that was the, the start of it. And then I started to think about reproductive and menstrual health in more general terms. And I thought, yeah, periods do affect us. Um, we have different challenges to men. I'm not going to get on my feminist high horse, but <laughs> we do. We are not the same as men. We have different bodies. We are wired in a completely different way. And yet in the workplace, we're treated as homogenous, a group of homogenous people who are relatively similar. So I became interested in menstrual and reproductive health in the workplace. And at the same time, business psychology was always bubbling away in the back of my mind. Oh, really? Yeah, I was always interested in um, trying to make people happier at work and healthier and adopt good work habits and I think through through some reading and and research that I did myself I I discovered business psychology it was relatively new to me it was something that I hadn't come across before and it just it really appealed to me helping organizations to to thrive helping employees to to work in a healthier way to help overcome work-related stress to help teams perform at their best to get um, the best out of people all of those things really resonated and I just thought yeah this this is where I could combine my interest in psychology and people and my interest in um, workplaces and helping workplaces to be more more productive and that was the start of the journey. I had no idea that it would lead here. That was not in the plan at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a really incredible journey and I wouldn't change anything. It's been probably the best career change or decision I've made. Wow. That's I mean, it's amazing that you've now come on to do to create see her thrive as well, on top of all of that. So when so when you made that decision you didn't intend to start see her thrive so so what was it that kind of finally clicked and made you yeah 
made you start the company? When I was studying my MSc to to retrain and requalify, I did research on PMDD in the workplace. And as part of that, I interviewed women with lived experience of the condition. And that included a whole host of people from um, managers to managing lots of people to um, teaching assistants to teachers to, oh, I'm trying to think of, of who else I interviewed. But what became very clear was that a lot of people are suffering in silence in the workplace. And I felt like they deserve a voice. They need a voice. And when I looked into it and realised that there's nobody out there really tackling menstrual and reproductive health in the workplace... I just thought, God, this this needs to change. This somebody needs to sort this out and be an advocate for women with PMDD and other conditions. And I just thought, well, why not? Yeah. Why not? I've got experience. I'm passionate about it. I want to help. I I just felt like I'd found. I don't want to say I'd, I'd found my calling. So, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like that. But I definitely felt a sense of almost responsibility. Like I owe, I owe this to the women that I've spoken to and worked with, having heard some of the horrendous things that they've experienced. I just felt like I couldn't close the lid on that and pretend that I, I didn't know about it yeah of course I know I completely understand I felt very similar feelings when I started um Ascendo Life did you mm, yeah I was I was struggling so much and I thought I had certain resources available to me but what about people who didn't or what about you know it was so many so many different circumstances could affect someone's ability to um cope with endometriosis and I just couldn't bear, and, and there wasn't enough information out there at the time about how to manage it overall on a day-to-day basis, other than repeated surgeries and drugs and hormones that may not affect you very well. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And I think it's, it's the same for endometriosis. Again, that's something that just is not on the radar in the workplace and yet we know that so many people struggle to to keep a job because of symptoms um and it's just unfair I just feel this real sense of injustice that needs something needs to be done um and slowly and surely we will we will get there yeah I I definitely think progress is happening for sure um but it is yeah it's slow and I think it's going to take a while for organizations to to catch up but what you're doing is incredible and you're leading the way for others you know so what do you think actually needs to change to better support people with reproductive and menstrual related conditions in the workplace like what's your kind of vision for the future I think a great place to start is to raise awareness of menstrual and reproductive health and the conditions that we associate with that 
in a lot of cases, I think this comes back to education and the fact that there's a generation out there who essentially have been failed by a lack of education around menstrual health. So that applies to to men and women. Um, I think if if we'd had a proper education at school age, probably see her thrive might not exist, but that's no bad thing um, because we would have a better understanding of of our of our menstrual and reproductive health. Um, so awareness, I think, educating people, especially those who work. Um, with and manage women is really really important and this isn't about pointing the finger and saying you should know about this like I've just said the education system has failed so many people and I'm an ex-teacher talking so I think I'm well placed (laughs) to say that Uh, hopefully though with the new sex and relationships guidance for next year that's going to change yes um hooray amazing yeah but I think it it, just coming back to the the question and the point it's giving people a, a better understanding of really the basics so what is the menstrual cycle how can it affect people um what sort of issues can people face that is linked to their reproductive and and menstrual health and what impact can that have on them at work and there's a growing body of research that's been done to to show how it can affect um, people's productivity their engagement their intention to leave um, absenteeism things like that so we are lucky in that we're getting more and more evidence to really build the business case for menstrual and reproductive health. And beyond that, so if we, we've got awareness through um, education, so that would be delivered through training. And then I think it's really about, a lot of it comes back to the culture of the organisation. So, being open and encouraging people to um, talk about these things and to not be fearful that they might lose their job if they disclose a health condition. Unfortunately, I've heard so many stories about companies that um, adopt these really strict um, absence policies whereby if you are off for X number of days, it kind of triggers a a warning. Wow. And yeah, so for somebody with a a health condition like PMDD, who might be forced to take a day or two off every month, um, that can be so damaging because they might, yeah, they might end up losing their job as a result of their absence record which is, is really awful. Um, it's not the same as sickness. It's it's a disability at the end of the day. It can't be helped. Um, and if it's properly managed and supported in the workplace, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, yeah, so the second, the second point to, to come back to that would be 
to look at the culture of the organization, to look at policies, to look at the style of leadership and management, and really think about how to to make that culture more open and inclusive to encourage people to feel comfortable in disclosing those conditions. And I think the the final point, um, just to, to follow on from that, it would be to look at um, strategically the, the management of these conditions. And that would include policies to support menstrual and reproductive health um, and practices. So things like flexible working, we know that flexible working is hugely beneficial, not just for, for women with menstrual and reproductive health conditions, but for, I would say, the majority of the working population who have different things to deal with. We've all got, we've all got our individual challenges. Uh, so flexible working, if that was introduced into the organisation, it would benefit so many people. Um, and also... Things like um, recognising menstrual and reproductive health separately to sickness, like we've just talked about. Um, yeah, so making making accommodations for for um, absence owing to these conditions, and also giving people the time to attend clinical appointments, to go to see their counsellor or their therapist. Uh, without being penalised or without any detriment to their their job role or career um, and making sure that the right support is there for them by their manager and also by their wider team because I think something that came out of, of my research certainly was the importance of of team relationships and the relationship with with your manager if you feel supported it has a huge impact on your overall health and well-being and your ability to, to manage symptoms better in the workplace. Um, so, yeah, that, that is really, really important. Just a reminder that today's show is supported by Own Up. And I just wanted to share with you another testimonial from a really happy customer. Dear Emily, I've known my husband since we were kids. We reconnected in college, have been married for nine beautiful years, and I made the decision after giving birth to two children to have a hysterectomy at 33 years old. After surgery, my husband took such good care of me and I love him with all of me, but sex since then has, been, has never been the same. It's been a frustrating, frustrating and at times devastatingly long road. I'm almost in tears because finding out about Ona gave me, gave my husband and I confidence to pick up where we left off before my symptoms took over everything. I'm just at a loss of words and I'm so thankful that I'm finally feeling like my old self again. You guys are going to help so many people, lots of O's by the way. I hope that I can help in some way too. You can count on us for whatever we can do to help you and I can't wait to show the Ona to my surgeon. This means so much to my husband and I, you and your team are a blessing. I don't know why, but that's kind of made me a bit emotional and I have no, yeah. I mean, I do know why. It's lovely to read. I guess when you're, maybe when you're hearing it through my words, it doesn't sound as emotive, but when you're reading the way that someone's written something um, and all the grammar and 
I don't know, you can just kind of feel the emotions through the words. So, I mean, that speaks for itself. So if you would like to try Ona, you can get 15% off with code JD2019. So that's J for Jessica, D for Duffin, all one word in all capitals. Please use the link in the show notes as that um, will help support the show. Um, if you're not sure where the show notes are, by the way, if you go to details, when you're on your phone and you're like looking at the episodes, click details of the show of that specific episode and you'll get all the show notes or just head to my website and when you look at the podcast that has all the show notes in there this episode is also sponsored by bu period patches um the endometriosis community are really loving bu period patches and i i love seeing how much they're loving them so um just wanted to share another testimonial um from another endo warrior I wanted to reach out and say thank you, all capitals, with a little those little prayer emoji. I have endometriosis, and for the last few weeks, have had a lot of have had a hot water bottle permanently attached to me as an unattractive accessory, while also trying whilst also constantly taking painkillers. Sorry, I can't read today. I tried these for the first time today, and the pain relief was incredible for such a tiny little strip. It meant I could actually leave my house today and give my poor skin a break from the constant heat of the hot water bottle. Thank you again. I'm sure many of you know what that feels like to have the hot water bottle stuck to your stomach. And I've never had the um, heat burns, but I've seen so many of you posting about them on Instagram. So um, I'm sure that that's not going to help on top of the endometriosis pain, having that uncomfortable burn as well. So I really hope that trying the BU period patches could give you a bit of a break from a hot water bottle and you don't have to carry it around all the time and they're just awkward and if you'd like to try BU period patches you can get five in a pack they are $5.99 if you want to just try them for a one-off or $4.99 if you go for the monthly subscription um the link is in the show notes and yeah get started with them and soothe period pain the natural way let me know how you get on So many people with endometriosis are like unsure of their rights in the workplace. So often, and you you talked about this, people like hide their illness because they don't know if talking about it might get them kind of, you know, penalised or fired. And they'll try to struggle through, which then might result in, you know, kind of like unexplained absences, etc. So what are the rights of someone with endometriosis in the workplace? And would are they the same for anyone with a menstrual related condition or would they vary per condition? Just to begin with, I'm not a legal expert and I'm not a HR specialist. However, from what I understand and from what I have learned and what I've read, it if you have a, a condition that is long term, so that's 12 months or more, that is reoccurring or sustained and that has a significant impact on your ability to carry out everyday activities including work that is a disability so if you can provide evidence to satisfy those three different conditions then your your menstrual or reproductive health condition 
could probably be protected under the Equality Act. What does that mean? Well, if if you are classed as having a disability under the Equality Act, then your employer should really be trying to make reasonable adjustments to accommodate you at work. So that means in basic terms that they should be trying their best to put in place anything to help you um, cope with your symptoms at work to stay in work and to do your job effectively so you're not at a disadvantage. Now the tricky thing with endometriosis and PMDD and other related conditions is that they're not listed explicitly as a disability so if you have somebody that says well show me where it's listed as a disability you will really struggle to find that anywhere and really that's something that needs to be changed in the legislation that's something that I'm really passionate about I think it does need to be written in into that um, somewhere Um, but I guess it's similar to all of the the conditions around mental health that was only brought into the discussion very recently so hopefully we'll see menstrual and reproductive health um, be more more visible in that sense so if um, if you think that you do meet the grounds for having a disability and then you are entitled to to workplace adjustments And it's really important that if you have any conversations with your employer about um, requests, so for example, if you ask for time off to attend a clinical appointment, you ask for perhaps a change to the uniform policy if you want to wear baggy clothing, if you you suffer from bloating or or anything like that. It could be as simple as that. a good piece of advice is to just keep a record of all of the conversations you have. Um, so what was said, what was the date, who was there or, or who said it, what action was promised or suggested. And just just keep that as, um, as a record in case anything you ask for isn't Um, accommodated and you find yourself in a bit of a struggle um, I think it always helps to have a a good paper trail of these discussions and sometimes we can overlook it and then wish we'd done it in hindsight so that's that's always something I do say to people and it's not it's not um, it's worst case scenario so it's just protecting yourself in the event that um you might need to take things further because unfortunately sometimes this isn't always straightforward and you might need to go through various channels to get the support you need. Yes, yeah, absolutely. If someone hasn't had that conversation yet with a manager that they have endometriosis, do you have any advice on how to have this kind of conversation in the first place? And when when would be the best time to disclose to a manager? Would it be like, in an interview or at the start of a job or when it becomes a problem? Great question and a really difficult one to answer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine, it's fine. It's, it's actually something that I, I do get asked quite a lot. 
first of all, it depends on the individual person. It's entirely up to you as an employee whether or not you want to disclose a condition. You are under no legal obligation to do so. That information is confidential and it's completely up to you. So any advice that I give is yours to take or leave. It's not me making any kind of suggestions. You you really have to decide that for yourself. What I would say to anybody thinking about having a conversation at work is think about why you want to have that conversation. Is it because you want support? Is it because you have had a series of absences and you want to make your employer aware of the reasons behind that? Is it because um, you, you just want to be open in case things change in future? Perhaps you might be thinking about surgery or something like that. So you might just want to be, you might want to make your manager aware of the situation. But take some time to think about why, why you want to have that conversation. And that will really lead the conversation. Um, Secondly, I think it's always a good idea to assume that the person you're talking to is probably going to know very little about your condition. So there's an element of um, educating the other person and just having the patience to explain the condition to them. And I know it can be really, really frustrating, but we've kind of got a um, almost take it as an opportunity to do some awareness raising ourselves and some advocacy work. So providing information before a conversation or at the beginning of a conversation can be really helpful. I know a few people that I've spoken to about disclosure sent um, their manager um some information before the conversation just to prime it which gave their manager the time and space to get their head around it and also ask any questions in the discussion so that might be a really simple thing that you can do just to frame that meeting or that conversation next it's really important to schedule any kind of conversation around a sensitive topic and one that is potentially emotional around a time where you're going to be able to handle it. So if you know that premenstrually you're going to really struggle to get through a conversation, if I just think of myself as an example, I know that premenstrually that's the worst time to try to try and have a challenging what I deem to be challenging conversation yeah so it's just being mindful of okay so when when would be the best time for me to to tackle this for me to have that conversation you might want to have some kind of coaching before the conversation and I'm using that in a really loose sense of the word in that it could be just running through the conversation with um, a colleague or a trusted friend or a family member, just sit down and run through, almost rehearse the conversation. That can be really helpful. 
because sometimes when you're anxious about something, particularly when you're anxious about talking with somebody about something, you can get um, really caught up in that. So taking the time to plan out what you want to say and how you're going to say it and just run through that a few times. You can even do that on your own, to be honest. But that can be um, really, really helpful and just alleviate some of that that anxiety. Some other useful advice might be if you're feeling particularly anxious, might be to ask somebody um, to go along to a meeting with you. So somebody trust and you work closely with a colleague it might not always be appropriate again it depends on you and the company you work for um but it, it that might be something you want to consider um if you are in an organization where and i hate to say this but it, it does happen where you feel threatened or you feel your job is threatened or you have a manager that is a bit of a bully um, I would definitely recommend taking somebody or asking for somebody, um, a third party, to be present at any meeting, um, just because you you might feel more vulnerable than in a typical meeting if you're talking about something that's really personal to you, and that can just give you a, a confidence boost. Well, I just want to ask a, a specific question here. So I had a situation which is kind of more about the question that I'm going to ask in a minute than it is about disclosing. But I was in a really tiny team, so there's no HR. There was just the two founders, myself and another um, colleague. And the other colleague was my level and wasn't involved in the situation. But basically, I had really bad brain fog and fatigue across about a month or like five weeks. Um, I was kind of getting quite bad and my and because of that my anxiety got bad and I was forgetting things and stuff and without any warning I was disciplined just for this space just for this like five weeks of time before that like everything was fine I got a bonus at Christmas and so um but I had to go into this meeting on my own because there was no one else in the organization so I spoke to like a helpline and got some advice and obviously I'd worked at Endometriosis UK, so there was kind of some things that I knew what to do. But I was solely alone in that in that situation, and then there was just two founding managers who had kind of made a decision about me in their heads about like why I was acting the way I was acting, um, and it was quite hard to like prove otherwise to them because it's just kind of what they thought. So it was a real like back and forth of like them being like, you, you know you're doing this and I'm like well it's because of this and I need some support and it was just really back and forth so what would you is there any if you can't bring anyone in can you just do it if you're feeling threatened like is there a way that it can be done better because there there wasn't really an easy solution in the end I I felt forced out so I handed my notice in so what kind of yeah is there an is there a solution in that situation well first of all I'm really sorry you went through that that sounds like a really awful experience it was, yeah it was pretty pretty bad I can imagine I think one thing that I would say to that is this is probably one of the reasons why if you can disclose the condition or a, a condition it can be really helpful yeah I mean they did know about it in my interview but yeah. So they, 
I'm, I'm just going to ask you a few questions to, to mm. add some more depth to this. So you, they knew about the condition. Yeah. And had you asked them for any kind of support while you were going through this period of brain fog and fatigue and anxiety? Yeah. So I sent uh, an email and a text message to my boss to say, can we put some, can we talk about it? Can we talk? I'm, I'm not feeling, I'm feeling quite anxious at the moment. Can we have a chat? And she didn't, oh, she never, she was like, yeah, we'll talk about it, but then never brought it up. And then at that point, because I was in so much, I was so vulnerable after those two times, I didn't bring it up again because she didn't seem to want to talk about it. But basically her, def- their, their defense, and I, I don't want to badmouth anyone. I'm sure that they had a certain way that they viewed it. Right. And that's, their, their defense was that um, I hadn't asked enough or explicitly enough. Okay. Again, if you had proof, if you had those emails or, or any kind of proof, I, and I, I don't like saying this because I feel like I'm, oh, I feel a bit exposed saying this. But No, no, no. You don't have to say anything. I can cut this out completely. But I was just thinking I was on my own. So if you couldn't find anyone to bring along like what would you do if it was a specifically tricky situation you know so you don't have to say anything you're not comfortable with in in that situation if you are in a very small team and you haven't got somebody that you can bring in I would always ask to record the meeting so I would just politely at the beginning of, of the meeting just ask anyone in attendance do you mind if I just record this? I'd like to write some notes afterwards and I'm feeling particularly forgetful recently. So it is to help me more than anything. And I think you're well within your rights to do that. And if somebody had a problem with it, I would be wondering why. Yeah. So that would be my advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just going back to what I said earlier, after any kind of meeting this is a really good habit to get into write up a summary of the meeting and send that to everybody who was there and agree a date for follow-up so that you can chase up any action that was agreed and see how things are progressing and that can be a helpful way just to keep the momentum and keep the conversation going a lot and you'll know this yourself a lot of um the time in businesses health and well-being just gets pushed to the bottom of the list of priorities and I don't think it's done out of malice I think people are under a lot of pressure to hit targets to to perform and sometimes it, it just falls off the radar so if you can agree those future meeting dates as soon as possible and get them in the diary and just keep that conversation going, then you've got a a better chance of having ongoing support. Yeah, absolutely. So to follow on with that, I mean, you might have covered it all. Um, And obviously I I jumped in with my scenario. So if someone was being treated poorly by a management because of their condition, or perhaps they have had a disciplinary or they kind of feel like they're on the brink of losing their job, how can they handle that situation? Like what kind of support or legal advice could they get? 
is there is there access is there stuff they can access to help them every organization will have what we call a grievance procedure and that is the process that a member of staff can go through to make an official complaint so if you are in a position where you're experiencing bullying or harassment or your health condition isn't being taken seriously or your employer isn't making reasonable adjustments employer if your line manager is not making reasonable adjustments to accommodate you then you can look at what the grievance procedure is and start a case every organization is different so the process will will vary um, so I, unfortunately, I can't, I can't tell you what that will look like for your place. You can normally find it in your employee handbook that, or the documents that you get at induction. And if you don't know where it is and you can't find it, then you can ask your your HR team or manager or HR representative, and they should be able to point you in that direction. And I would hope that even asking that question would start a conversation with HR because that should be a red flag that something perhaps isn't right. Um, And that, again, HR, that is another avenue of support or they are another avenue of support. So HR really are there to make sure that the people in the workforce are Um, happy and um, everything is being done above board and more and more their remit extends to well-being and health so they should care if their staff aren't being treated properly by managers Um, so yeah go and have a conversation with a trusted member of HR and beyond that you can get legal advice, independent legal advice, either from um, a a law firm that you might find yourself, or if you're a member of a union, they can direct you to people who can provide that, that kind of advice. And this is where it's so helpful to have a record of conversations, of um, anything you've asked for, any kind of um, altercations in the workplace, any instances of, of bullying or harassment, make a note of what happened, when it happened, as quickly as you can after the event. Um, just jot it down on a piece of paper or somewhere safe and just keep keep that record. But the key is it's not about how you felt or the impact it had on you. It's what happened so you need to be very objective what was said who said it or what what happened who did it what time was it where were you who was present who witnessed it and then you've got an objective account of the event or the incident so I don't like talking about all of this negative stuff but we know that things can escalate in in workplaces and it's just a good idea to protect yourself where you can yeah absolutely and you know within endometriosis it unfortunately seems to happen quite a lot even though it's not a nice subject I think it's so important to talk about because I I, I feel like 
there's a lot of people with endo who just are being pushed into a corner and ha- don't know what to do about it. It's a great area. Endometriosis in the workplace is a really great area. So, yeah, just having a bit more guidance is so helpful. So thank you for that. Um, so to wrap up, do you have any key tips that you can offer to help us best take care of ourselves and manage endometriosis and thrive in the workplace? What a fantastic question. <laughs> uh, I would say find out what is helpful for you. We started this conversation by talking about the wealth of information that's out there and everybody seems to have an opinion on what works and what's beneficial and what's good for you and what not to do. Take some time to just figure that out for you as an individual and ignore to an extent ignore all of the noise around what to do which can be really really difficult especially when you're just looking for advice Um, and it can be it can be trial and error you might feel like a, a bit of a guinea pig going through all of these different things to try and find what works but you you should hit upon something that makes you feel better and helps you to manage symptoms so as an example for me diet is a really important thing and if I cut out gluten and um, milk cow's milk I notice a significant difference in my premenstrual symptoms and if I ignore that and just eat at will, bread, pasta, carbs, it really does take its toll and it seems to exacerbate symptoms. So for me, diet is a really important thing. But other people might be sitting listening to this thinking, well, I can eat whatever I want and it doesn't make a difference. Maybe for you, it's something like sleep. Maybe you're really sensitive to sleep and sleep is what you need to make you feel good and to manage symptoms. Um, So it's just about getting in tune with you, with your body, with your mind and figuring that out for yourself. So almost coming up with an individual personalized healthcare plan. Think about what makes you feel better if you are having those bad days. Um, Some people find it really good to make a list of things they can do. So things like have some dark chocolate in my office drawer just for a bit of an energy boost. Make sure I've got headphones so I can put them in and just block out everybody else, listen to some soothing music. Make sure I go out of the office at lunchtime for a walk just to clear my head. So make yourself maybe a list of 10 different things that you can do if you're feeling particularly um, overwhelmed or run down at work and just stick them up in a place you can see them where you don't even have to think about it and you can just look at that list and almost on autopilot just start giving yourself a bit of self-care at So I think those would be my main tips. My other one related to work, and this this might be um, quite a controversial point to end on. (laughs) I think there is 
only so much you can do. And the responsibility of managing endometriosis or any other health condition is yours up to a point but you have to be met halfway by your employer otherwise it's just going to be a constant battle and I think you have to be very realistic with yourself when you get to a point where you think actually this just isn't working I've tried everything to manage my symptoms I've tried to get adjustments you might not necessarily want a big legal battle on your hands and that's fine but it's about looking at the company or the organization you work for and thinking actually is this the right employer and environment for me and that can be a really scary question to ask but it's such an important one. And this extends beyond menstrual and reproductive health. This is true of anybody who is struggling at work. Really sit back and look at the the culture of the organisation, the way people are treated, the way people are looked after. um, and, And just sometimes I think we can feel trapped Mm. in an organisation and we're not, we're, we're really not trapped. There are, there's always a way out and there are always other opportunities, but fear can sometimes keep us stuck in these toxic environments. Absolutely, yeah. So I think it's just being aware of, okay, now I've reached a point where this is causing a lot of harm to my health and well-being it's just not worth it. I am going to look for something else or I'm going to explore other opportunities. I want a career change. I want to retrain, whatever it is. But it's about being aware of that and not being afraid to look beyond the current situation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really, I know that you're saying it's controversial, but I think that it's so important that we ended with that because fear can hold us back so much and we can get so inside that fear space. We just believe there's no way out and people put up with appalling, you know, treatment when they don't have to. Absolutely. And I think when you then throw into the mix these health conditions that bring with them anxiety and, and other symptoms anyway, it can be a very scary thing to do to make that to to take that decision to to find another opportunity um and and this is by no means a plug but that's what (laughs) you asked at the beginning what do business psychologists do well one aspect of what I do is I'm a career coach so I will help people to get unstuck to ask the questions to get them to look at other opportunities so that it can be really really beneficial to talk to somebody that isn't in your family or friendship circle or in your workplace an external person who is just going to get you to think about some of those scary things but in a really safe environment yeah yeah I I've had a coach not um a business coach but a coach a life coach and um she actually came on board to do free 
life coaching at one of my um, workplaces and it was so helpful with helping me make a decision about what I was going to do and it was brilliant so I totally recommend that yeah sometimes it just takes for somebody to ask a certain question it opens up something in you it plants a seed and then that's it 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 unlocks that potential and gets rid of that fear it 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 really is amazing the transformation it can make Mm, completely so um if anyone wants to know more about what you do at see her thrive where can they get in touch with you and yeah read more about your work please do get in touch if you've got any questions or you you want to find out more or if you're interested in running a workshop at your organization we can talk about that and how to to get the wheels in motion for that you can go to our website at www.seeherthrive.com or you can find us on social media at seeherthrive.com my email address is also claire at seeherthrive.com and I would love to hear from you it's really important to me that we get endometriosis in the workplace conversation and really improve support systems for people with the condition so that they can thrive at work thank you so much it's been amazing to have you on I think that everyone's gonna find this conversation really really useful it might be relevant to them now it might be relevant to them in the future or they can pass it on to a friend yeah thank you so much I think what you're doing is so important and we're making a lot of progress with endometriosis but in the workplace there's still a long way to go so Thank you for doing what you're doing. And thank you for doing what you're doing. We'll <laughs> just keep back our drum. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world 